Casinos in Space by Howard Berenbaum. Copyright 2019 by Howard Berenbaum slash CyberTimes LLC. All rights reserved. Chapter 21. Paul's Fall. Martin wasn't dead yet, though after being pounced and pummeled by Dr. Erickson, he was lucky to be alive. Though he did lash out in a rage that no one had seen in a long time, it stopped happening when he reached adulthood. As a child, he would get angry with his abusive father, and sometimes with his mother, just for inaction. For his bad behavior, he'd either get locked in his room, or get pushed outside the apartment door until his anger subsided. He hated what they did. It just made him angrier and angrier, and he'd scream bloody murder as it happened. The neighbors would ignore the screaming because they knew what was happening, and would not interfere. It was a terrible time in his life he preferred to forget, but it surfaced its ugly head often and unexpectedly. Martin Landry was extremely agitated. Paul Erickson was gone, and for good, he feared. He desperately needed his help, but he was abandoned again and alone. His anxiety increased to panic and pain and he started weeping as moving images blurred his watery view of the world. Then, after a few minutes of deep depression, he brushed off his pain and anguish and started to plot and plan. Dr. Erickson couldn't have gone far without stopping. He needed to rest and eat and figure if he was on the right track, he thought. That would delay him and I'll catch him. And when I do, I will wring his neck, I will. When he stood up, he felt the pain caused by Paul's full body pounce, and he also had a pain in his heart for being left utterly alone. He touched the swollen bump on the side of his head where it met a small boulder after Paul foiled his crazed attack, but the cut formed a scab and he only lost a little blood. A night's rest revived him and he was ready for the pursuit. It seemed like hours on the meandering trail climbing up hills and down to valleys repeating the rules of energy conversion, storing energy as he climbed and giving it back as he moved down. Those rules never left his head from intermediate physics but he really didn't understand energy conversion as applied to the real world. He was just walking, and how could energy get stored in his body and then released? It made no sense. As he was drifting in and out of daydreams he saw Dr. Erickson hobbling up the trail far ahead. Yes. He said out loud. But then he feared Erickson would hear him, so he repeated, yes, but barely audible. Martin was so excited. He hasn't been that excited since he set off that bomb on the starship. His actions may have caused the death of thousands, but he wasn't thinking. Even if he was a victim of his own doings, he didn't care. His goal was his goal and nothing would stop him. Fortunately, the ship was not disabled, but he was responsible for several deaths when the gravity was restored. But he didn't care. Initially he thought he had a plan, a plan of disruption, but then it changed when he met Paul Erickson. He was obsessed with winning money from the system he hated, and Dr. Erickson could help. He had no plans to get home because he thought he would die on the starship as a martyr for the evils of gambling. That did not matter at the moment. Dr. Paul Erickson was his target and he was about to meet him again and that made him very happy. He cautiously and carefully narrowed the distance to Dr. Erickson, watching the path to avoid stepping on anything that could make a sound. As he neared, 
he could see that Dr. Erickson was limping. Martin was now within a few yards of Paul and was about to jump on him to return the favor, but Paul took a sharp turn off the path and disappeared into the lush jungle foliage. This angered Martin, and he wanted to hurt Paul for leaving him. Even after he saved him from those ugly giant spiders? He thought. What a selfish and ungrateful beast. At this point you're probably thinking that Martin caught up to Paul and pushed into that hole in the ground, and down to the caves below. But that isn't exactly what happened. As Martin turned and forged his way through the bushes and trees, he pulled out his lucky knife. Still angry, he held the point at arm's length, at first cutting any large leaves in his path, but he had a darker plan for that knife. Then he heard heavy breathing and recognized the voice on the end of the sounds. It was Dr. Erickson. Martin, in his deranged state, thought it fair to shout a warning before he delivered his murderous blow, so he yelled, You, louse. But Paul did not hear. With the knife in hand, and within a yard of Paul, Martin flew up into the air, knife aimed at Paul's back. As Martin hovered momentarily above Paul, like a slow-motion scene from a ninja warrior movie, a small green thing shot by Paul's backside and shoved him to the ground. Martin fell through thin air as his knife penetrated into a nearby mushroom-covered tree stump below. Then the blade of the knife broke as Martin's body continued forward, his head having an impromptu meeting with a small tree trunk. He was knocked unconscious, and out like a light as Paul slid down the shaft to safety. Martin woke up, up hours later, now in a dim darkness with a throbbing headache and a tender bump on his noggin. He was furious that he and his lucky knife missed Dr. Erickson, and it wasn't lucky anymore. He was also upset that his vision had doubled, and there were four full moons in the sky instead of two. Then in the dim light he thought he saw a little green man pass him by, maybe the same single tiny person who interfered before, and was successful saving Dr. Erickson from his rage. It was not a good day. In the distance, dark clouds had formed and were preparing to pour down on poor Martin. Whooshing and whirring sounds reach his ears along with a chilly breeze. The background noise of murmurs, groans, barks, growls, chirps and burps increased as a number of agitated animals prepared for the approaching weather. It was only a few moments later that a lightning bolt crashed to the earth very near where Martin stood. Then exactly one second later, Martin dived down as the sound of a tree splitting pierced the night and crashed to the ground nearby. He was shaking with fear. After clinging to this safe spot for several minutes, Martin slowly stood up and then walked a few feet in the direction to where he last saw Paul standing. He stopped to look around and all he could see were wide and narrow leaf-green foliage the height of a man, and some scattered tall bamboo-like trees, with beige bark, reaching high into the canopy. Then he heard the squawking of a pair of hawks buzzing above the treetops, and instinctively ran for cover. But the hawks weren't thinking about Martin. They were searching for small, small animals, like rabbits and squirrels, with their keen eyesight from above. An adult hawk was training a younger bird to find its prey. Martin looked up as the adult swooped down in his direction, but then it turned landing several yards away picking up something small. He was relieved that he wasn't the target, but hoped maybe it was that green thing that messed up his attack on Dr. Erickson. The younger bird followed the adult's action and dove towards the ground, 
and then up again but without a catch. The older hawk repeated the lesson and picked up a small rabbit, then gracefully soared back to the top. The smaller bird dove again, but this time directly towards Martin's head. But the older hawk realized the error and raced to intercept the youth while Martin scrambled on all fours and then leaped out of the way. But this time he didn't hit the ground. Well, not yet. He accidentally found the spot that swallowed Dr. Erickson some hours ago. As the hawks approached, Martin's right arm slid through a soft green spot in the ground, like a hot knife on butter, and then the hole began swallowing him whole. For a short moment, Martin's right leg lingered above, before his body vanished from view down under. He was now on a diagonal descent down the dark shaft. After too many terrible tumbles, and a minute later, Martin struck the ground with a thump and a squish. He hit something unexpectedly that cushioned the fall, a white sticky gooey mess now covering his right arm up to the elbow. He managed to remove most of the stuff, with some exceptions, and then looked up to see the maker of the goo, approaching. It was a giant smelly thing, the goo maker. As it neared, Martin got a big whiff and almost vomited from its stench. It was like breathing ammonia mixed with smelling salts, mixed with fresh, freshly deposited manure and some sewage for good measure. The smell was like a quick kick in the face, and he jumped away. It was a good thing he had a sense of smell because when he jumped aside, the spider was about to take a test bite out of his neck, but Martin was no longer at that spot. Ironically, the insect thought the thing on the ground had a bad odor and looked unappetizing. But as Martin scurried away, the spider scurried after him because it thought it might want to munch on him later. As Martin pulled ahead of the stinky thing, the stinky thing started closing in. But Martin had one more trick up his sleeve, and it wasn't a magic bunny. It was a small concealed knife, one of a few, he carried everywhere. He broke a lucky one, but this was his reserve. He pulled it out and turned and swung it like a machete sharp enough to effortlessly mow down any and all vegetation in its path. The first swipe removed the two sets of black hairy legs ready to attack, and the second slice cut off the monster's fangs. The third slice easily whacked off the black head, eyes still seeing as it rolled up to view the gray cave wall for one last moment. This was the second spider he butchered. Not that he was in the habit of slicing alien spiders for the sport. He had to do what he could to protect himself, and in this instance, he was about to become some insect's supper. It wasn't his time to die, not yet, just when he was closing in on Dr. Erickson and his future fortune. Martin rushed away from the murder scene hoping no other spider monster would be interested in his thin, gaunt body. After seeing no other menace, he was free to size up his surroundings and then try to find Dr. Erickson. It wouldn't be easy. The light was dim and the cave had many branching tunnels. He was also worried about the locals, but not too worried because they were big and clumsy oafs and he knew he could outrun them. He stopped his thinking and planning for a moment, after he heard a grunt in the distance. Could that be Dr. Erickson, he thought, or one of those ugly green natives? So, he headed in the direction of the sound, and cautiously entered a connecting corridor, then stopped to listen. For the moment, it was quiet. But then he heard a muffled groan again. Could that be Dr. Erickson, he hoped? 
Maybe he's injured, but I would be happy to assist him, he thought. Then we could head right to the casino and make some money. He started walking into the darkness with his eyes wide open now thinking about winning.